Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the GameDev.TV Community Podcast. I'm your host KB, and this podcast brings you the audio experience of GameDev.TV. Now, let's get right into the podcast. Dev community is like really, really cool. I was checking out the fact you guys have tutorials, and you guys have like such an awesome forum and place to just develop and learn, and that's a really great resource for people. So yeah, excited to see what you guys come up with in the future. Yeah, it's exciting. We have a lot of things in store. How did that all come about, actually? I'm kind of curious, like, how that got started. So the founder and CEO is Ben Tristam. He's been doing entrepreneur stuff for a, a while now. And I think 2015, he released a Kickstarter for this Unity Complete developer course. And it just took a lot of traction. And then from there on, they started making other courses like Blender and then Godot and then Unreal and then all that good stuff. And then now we have the forums and the community we have today. And then we have people like me who are like helping them with like podcasts and the social media and just growing this outreach of game development, like t- courses and stuff like that. Absolutely. It's so good to have a resource when you're learning something because it mm-hmm. goes beyond just like the tutorial video. You want to be in touch with the creator and actually have some feedback and, and ask questions. So that's awesome. No, it's great because there's a lot of courses on YouTube where it's like they're great, but they're so outdated or you ask a question and you never get answered. And you're like, I can't continue with this tutorial. But with yep. TV, we try to be on top of all Q&A. We have a whole system where you can just we make sure we get every single person that posts something, even if it's just a little like, hey, we hear you or, hey, you want to do game of them? Awesome. Like, we appreciate it. Like, it's awesome. Amazing. Keep doing it and stuff like that. And we just keep hitting on the like we need to have quality courses and quality um, content, quality uh, engagement with the community and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. And with especially with game development, everything mm-hmm. is so granular and so many things can go wrong. And mm-hmm. it's like you, it's a lot of areas you might have an expertise in something, but because you're not a coder or because you're not an artist or because you're mm-hmm. not an audio guy, you have to have all those bases covered. So that's awesome. So let's get started with the, the video you have on Reddit because that's what caught my eye. The, yeah, uh, for sure. For sure. Animated film. So what's all that like? Because I see you're also doing social media marketing. So how will we get from there to there and all that stuff? You know, it's interesting because it's all under the umbrella of just I love creativity and telling stories. And that's Mm -hmm. what it all started from. Um, And to get here was just an amalgamation of all my skill sets. And it's the real goal of my business, which is uh, I I do social media marketing. I do graphic design. I do a lot of video editing for clients. And that's to pay the bills so I can fund projects like From Ashes, which which is the passion project, which is what I want to do for the rest of my life is create movies and videos like that and create video games and do projects that require me to be multifaceted and learn about all the creative outlets I have. So, so uh, how I got there was a very long road, but it became, it came from all of the different avenues that it took to, to learn different skill sets. So, uh, so it's a really cool project. And the best thing about it is I get to work with really talented people, just people you discover um, and, and people that uh, bring different other things to, to the table, you know. And, and I meet people like you. I meet people who are, you know, incredible actors, incredible stuntmen, incredible uh, developers. And I love adding people to the team. And, and I get to use people from all walks of life, from Hollywood color correction people to, uh, like, audio specialists to, mm-hmm. like, just just... You just get to meet people and be involved in all these different creative assets. So I also saw you met Dan, right? Dan Loke, the uh, Asian guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've uh, been. What did you see that? In? I think it was one of your um, cover videos for your website. I'm not sure. <laughs> 
It was a YouTube video. It was under, it was like two minute long. It was like, this is why you should choose us because we do video websites and we add videos to your website so that we get more engagement and conversion and then attraction. Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a part of it. So I do a lot of explainer videos. I do a lot of um, corporate media stuff. I do uh, really whatever, you know, the projects Mm -hmm. demand. I learn it. You know, it's one of the biggest things I've learned about being in a creative industry. It's a lot of times it's better to take a project that might be outside of your skill set and just demand of yourself that you figure it out and use all your resources to on the fly move forward until you find a way to overcome all the obstacles. So that's great advice. Yeah, because most of the time you want to stay in your comfort zone and then never really grow. You never really see what you can create. Yeah. I mean, the the most scary thing when you're putting out something into the world is that feeling of what will people think about this and will I be getting a ton of criticism back and being able to overcome that and just go for it anyway. And especially when you have a client who's paid you money to get a product they are using for their own purposes, you have to give it your full attention, your full focus. So you've got to be, you've got to be on it. You So to, to do that, you have to get on top of Google and researching things. You have to be in touch with experts. Um, I love having mentors. That's like one of the biggest um, things I would give advice to anybody is mm-hmm. to find a mentor uh, in whatever you're trying to specialize in. Um, and then also find your own way. So use your mentor, use all these things as guideposts and signs, but then find your own way and develop the thing that you really want to do out of it. So, um, so in all those areas, like I could, I could list off a million people who have taught me stuff about all those different areas. Like the future for graphic design is number one resource, resource, um, for unreal, all of their tutorial podcasts. I make sure I'm front and center once they go live and they're streaming for really all, every single like live stream that comes out. As many as, or, as I see that are relevant to me. Okay, so anything well, related yeah. to animation, anything related to material development, their composure framework one, uh, as soon as as soon as I can get a hold of that podcast, That's I'll awesome. be like suddenly, yeah. Wow. So, um, so, and because all that stuff is so detailed and I'm watching everything they do because there's a million stumbling blocks and I just basically taking notes for a class. So they, they just put up one that, really was the bridge between learning their new ray tracing system and all of the previous versions of Unreal. So yeah, I'm all over tutorials um, because you can make them concise enough that you're not sitting through like a two hour class in school, like, mm-hmm. like, so you, where you're, where you get bored or something seems irrelevant. You can find that exact tutorial that's relevant to the thing you're working on. So. Yeah, no, so. I agree. So how did you get started with all of it? What was like your education or did you yeah, go to so college for graphic design or did you? I went to college for music. So I okay. started, I started way back um, playing guitar and going to Berkeley College of Music and not finding, I, I played in rock bands and stuff, but the way the music industry changed around 2005, I started watching rock die as an art form. There were outlets for it. There's like post-rock and indie rock. But the kind of stuff I wanted to do, like shreddy guitar solo stuff and the stuff I was studying at Berkeley, was so irrelevant to the industry. I had a real reality check, and I decided I was going to learn more into or lean more into film scoring and lean more into learning how to write music for more useful purposes. So I always had something as a, as a, as a backup. And then what ended up happening was I got a, a job in L.A. I got a call. I started doing some freelance work for a production uh, company 
here in LA and they called me to give me four days to move cross country and I, you know drove straight out and started a whole new life out here and got right into Hollywood production and wow. learned a whole new side of all of my creative skill sets because once you're in an, a studio once you're surrounded by creative people you see all of the potential for things that you could be involved with so uh, while I was there, I did music for a long time, was involved in some really awesome projects, did some movies, learned how to film score, learned how to conduct orchestras, learned how to write music for all sorts of instruments, how to score TV shows, um, and work with a bunch of other very talented composers. But it real, the real defining moment probably my entire career was about a two-week period where we were between TV shows to work on and we didn't have some space, and I was put in an office with Emmy-winning animators. And these guys are just some of the most talented people ever. You know, they've they've won so many awards for the types of graphics that they do. And we were just killing time. So uh, they taught me a crash course in 3D animation, like perfect, like just down to the details. And I taught them some music stuff. And that exchange of skill sets, just I saw the potential that I could do anything I really wanted to in terms of storytelling and in terms of developing a project and that was super exciting because for me all these creative outlets are just forms of expression for mm -hmm. telling a story or eliciting an emotion or uh, having an outlet for some emotional experience or just whatever I wanted to do now I had open to me so and then from there it was just branching out into all the different realms. So I still love doing music and music is a big part of my life. I'm scoring my own movie, but now I'm also in charge of the 3D that I learned. I'm also in start of the post effects that I learned. I learned about the the initial cinematography. Uh, I met uh, my friend Joe is an incredible stunt guy and he he's going to be stunt coordinating a lot of the fight scenes in the movie. So like all of these aspects of, of creativity are so fun to just bring together for one project. So Man, that's amazing, man. What was it like being around all these people? Amazing, like, I mean, award-winning? Well, it, it comes in two forms. It's, it's amazing support. It's having, you know, just friendships and being able to, to see different perspectives on your, your project. But it's also being open to criticism because everyone who's an expert of their field are going to see things that you don't. And mm -hmm. the hardest thing for me was just dealing with the fact that I had to learn more and iteratively restart all my projects. So like I would, I would start on something and I would meet a real, like a, an unreal material expert, right? Mm -hmm. And he would show me what his materials look like. And these just walls of things that I still don't understand. But just like, <laughs> like if you look at the, the uh, photorealistic unreal humans, like they go into such granular details and you're dealing with texture maps that are mm -hmm. called micro maps and dealing with skin pores and dealing with uh, oils on skin that <laughs> create specular shading, you know, and it's taking that criticism and learning from it and applying it to the next thing you're going to do. But mm -hmm. the most important thing is still moving the project forward. So you don't want to take the criticism and then go back to the drawing board and never release anything. So you have to ride this line of moving forward on the project while continually learning and taking accurate criticism. So, so getting people on the project, I wanted that criticism, wanted them to tell me how could this be better. And what ends up happening is it escalates things to whole new levels. So we got, instead of just 
having some cool sword fights for the movies, I met a stunt guy who was like, your fight scenes need to be better. So he mm. goes, my friend who worked on John Wick and my oh. other friend who worked yes. on Black Panther came and they choreographed a couple of the sword fights in the movie. So they sat with my motion capture actors and we just we just scripted out the fights and had them choreograph it, you know? So in a previous iteration where I had visualized a pretty traditional slow moving sword fight, I now have Aikido based flips and jujitsu and, <laughs> you know, all sorts of cool grappling. And oh, it has exciting. Yeah. So, so having all these people and then uh, my friend Jeff, who um, is one of the most talented people I know with all the things that he can do, it's just incredible. He, it was initially cast to be a villain character, but because he can do so much with voices, I, I wrote new characters into the script to account for him. So mm-hmm. he is his ability to maneuver through different characterizations. It just opens up new pathways. And then you meet people who specialize in things and they can add to the project and they'll teach you new ways of doing things. So, uh, so yeah, my friend James, who's a uh, compositor and a visual effects guy, he was the one who really was like granularly getting into the nuts and bolts of Unreal with me and discussing what the look dev needs to be to get it to a AAA professional looking film. And all these people brought something to the table. So I'm really happy to work with all of them. So, and I, I could go through more people. The lead female, Rachel, incredible. Um, she was just looking to get started in LA. She, she moved here and was trying to get um, her her feet wet in the, in the acting world and and she just nailed her character so perfectly. I really can't see the character without her playing her part. And uh, my friend Kelly Jean, who's playing um, this character called the Witch, who does all sorts of cool, like spacey sci-fi voices, like just working with amazing people. So I could go on forever. So you gotta cut me off. No, I yeah, talk no, about you're people. Good. Yeah. What What age did you move out to LA? I was twenty. 23, 23, when I moved out here. Were you so nervous? Was... Were you afraid? Were you like, I'm ready? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's funny when you're nervous because it's kind of the same emotion as being excited, but like, it just I'm depends certain. on what you're focusing on. So it was kind of like, it was, it's just going back and forth between the two. I was just thrown into, you know, primetime TV production and I was put in a very important role in the music position. So I was... I was definitely hyped about it, but uh, I had to learn very quickly. I learned on the fly. I didn't even have my, my direct superior wasn't even in the office with me. So I had to just basically, you know, just get in the midst of it and figure it out as I, I went. I think that was probably now that I think about that, actually, one of the biggest things was uh, having pressure to figure things out kept me pushing forward. So, uh, so that's really I think, important now. It's the idea. That's why we like to do challenges for courses. It's like you have to push yourself. Pause the video. Try to do it on your own. Mm-hmm. And if you can't do it, come back. But that act of doing it on your own and be like, I can do it. Then do the next challenge. I could do that one. I could do this on my own if I need to. I don't need to have this source of material. It's great to learn from it and advice. Because I, I notice a lot of people take tutorials, tutorials and they'll just be like, I want the next one because I don't know what to do next. Like I don't, I don't know how to go out there and do my own thing. Where's the next one? And then people are like, this is just here to give you a structure. You're going to have to build your own game. But I don't want to build my own game. I don't know how. I'm like, you're going to have to push yourself. You're going to have to become creative. You're going to have to just be pressured to make it happen. Absolutely. Um, you, 
what will guide you through that though is having an end goal product in mind. So if you do a tutorial to just learn the thing, then there's no purpose for it. It's very hard to commit to your your learning bank. But if you have a hands-on project that you're you need it for, you see it in context, and I think that makes a big difference, right? Um, I would never have learned certain elements of Unreal if I didn't have the From Ashes project to work on because uh, you have to overcome these obstacles that you never expected to begin with, but by overcoming them for a production or before your game that you actually see the end vision of, you learn other skill sets that make everything better. So mm-hmm. uh, just, just learning the one tutorial is, is amazing, but it, the better thing is to have... A, a place you're going with it and where it's going to, where it's going to drop. And, you know, uh, uh, I always love seeing what people can come out with when they, they elevate things to a whole new level. Um, Cause I think it is a, uh, a rising tide raises all boats kind of thing, because the more people innovate and create new stuff, the more it inspires other people to develop their own projects and can contribute new things to um the the source projects you know like um just ideas that started out of someone in a bedroom revolutionizing the industry and and you see it and what's cool with with unreal is epic seems very interested in um doing development grants and integrating into the engine stuff that just works stuff that's cool so um yeah they've acquired a lot of uh companies too and they've been helping a lot of people out yeah, that they they post a lot now about like just a ton of games. I'm like, well, well hold on, I didn't know that was an epic game. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, they their acquisitions are pretty crazy, you know. Yeah. Um, and what's cool is because they do that, they get to get. I mean, like because they got because they have developed Fortnite, they get the funding to put behind Unreal, and then that takes everything to yeah. to uh. Like the fact that you can get photorealistic architectural visualizations now is just unbelievable with Unreal, you know, and that can be directly applied to other projects you want to do. So I I have clients who I can do 3D work for, which is awesome, which I love doing uh, because they have an interior design company and they want to show clients what it's like to have uh, a completely redecorated house or because they want to build a house and they need blueprints or they want to see what a walkthrough would look like, right? And then you add on VR on top of that, and you can show them what it's like to, to be inside a, a house that isn't built and to near photorealistic mm-hmm. proportions. I mean, and eventually you can do that with AR, which is like augmented, just like you don't even have this, just kind of like those like contacts, and it just shows you everything. Yes, in, that's where things are going. the world, yeah. so you can be like, look, this is the house without the um, AR. Here it is, all like right there in front of them. Because I know people get uncomfortable with the VR he- headsets. Yeah, so we can yeah. start making it like less, I guess, what clunky and more yes, accessible. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. The thing that I want to get my hands on is the Magic Leap, which is like a pair of goggles, because I think that's where it's it's all going. And the Magic Leap, I, I don't, I forget the name of the technology, but it, it it beams directly into your eyeballs instead of having a screen you're looking at. It, like it, a, wow. So it actually it actually it actually projects into your eyes rather than having. Is that safe? I, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's okay. actually safe. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's just more like having a mini projector in yeah. the headset instead of having um, screens that you're just looking at. So everything has this extra level of sensory depth. Um, and once once it is that comfortable, everyone's going to be in VR. And I I really want to get my hands on them because what I would like to do for my next movie um, 
or if depending on how this production goes, we might be doing um, additional shoots. And I would love to have my characters in motion capture in VR so that they're in the world interacting with each other in their headsets while they're while they're performing and just looking around. You're in a castle. You're in the forest. You're actually talking to (laughs) your your person across from you in character. I don't know if you saw the uh, the creation of the um, uh, the Hellblade game where they did the behind the scenes of the motion capture for that. Actually, I haven't. I love the game, but no, I haven't. I haven't checked that out yet. It's it's incredible. I mean, you guys should definitely definitely consider like featuring that on the site because that shows the like okay. live performance of motion capture that was directly in the game. You see the actress in her head cam and her motion capture suit, and uh, they're showing you in in the like in two screens uh, her performing, and then on the right side is her in character walking through this uh this kind of dystopian landscape and there's a big tree that lights on fire and she's talking to these voices in her head and uh yeah it's it's incredible what you can get now with with those kind of things because you can take the best part of an actor's performance and now apply it to a video game to apply it to an animated film to just record awesome motion capture data and reroute it to other characters maybe you got uh and that, I mean, that's the amazing thing, right? Traditionally, you have a fem- like a, a female character doing a emotive scene, and that would be what you had in footage. But now I can take that character and apply it to anything I want to, a monster, to a male character, to um, a animal character, to what, whatever outlet I want because I have the motion capture data and I have the audio, and you can manipulate all that stuff. So, Damn. That's, that's <laughs> it's fun. insane. Yeah, and then they have the new Oculus Quest too, where they don't even have wires. Just put it on, and you can play the game. Exactly, games. exactly. Like it's just yeah. it's it's getting better and better, and I cannot wait to see what yeah. happens. Yeah, yeah. So now, how did you learn motion capture? That was a brute force trial and error kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it is there even tutorials for that, or is it you just had to ask people? Been there are. It just depends on what you want to use. And a lot of times it's on the, the bleeding edge of things. And a lot of times it's also out of the budget. So uh, there's multiple ways to go to, to go about it. I initially started because uh, when I was learning animation back in the days of that production company, um, I wanted to do a fight scene with, um, with... I just wanted to learn how animating fighting working. Just, just hand animation. And I did... Uh, I, I downloaded a Batman character, I think, and a Bane character. And I was just like going through the motions of keyframes, learning how to do this hand animation. And I was showing it to my friends and they were going, wow, this is actually really good. You should actually consider making this more of a production, you know, maybe like build yourself a little, little like a demo of a fight scene for Batman. So what ended up happening was I got some guys to do some fight scene choreography. And then they were like, you should look into motion capture because instead of having to film us doing the fight scene you could just be recording the motion capture and applying to your characters so i took that to the next level and did the motion capture and then they're like this is actually showing out to be a pretty cool scene you should write some dialogue and actually set it up as a story so i i put together the scene i made a kind of linear story that story ended up becoming 20 minutes i ended up writing a little batman short mm-hmm. uh short film producing the whole thing making it with uh, a program called Carrera, which was like an old school 
uh, 3D program. Uh, kind of like a blender, but really buggy without a lot of the bells and whistles that Blender has now. Mm-hmm. And just kind of brute force made it worked. And I put it out there and people like Angry Joe saw it and Kevin Smith, the director, saw it and they loved it. And I was totally surprised by that. And that was some really positive validation. It actually blew up on YouTube for a little while, got a couple hundred thousand views, um, got featured on some Batman forums on Reddit and stuff. And oh, wow. that Is it was the Batman Ke- Beyond one? It was the Batman Beyond one. Hey, uh, I saw yeah. that yesterday. You know, shit, really. That's amazing. Uh, I, I had to actually take those down off YouTube temporarily because of this whole COPPA situation. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. heard about the, that situation with YouTube, but uh, much, animated but... animated stuff is kind of in a weird space right now on YouTube uh, because of these new laws and the way YouTube the is. The kids' laws. Yeah, the kids' law stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're really vague about what qualifies as kids and what doesn't. And with the Batman stuff, there's there's action and violence and there's but it also could qualify because there's they're cartoon characters basically Mm -hmm. so it's a very vague thing so i'm still looking at that so right now they're offline but i'll probably re-upload them but uh what i also got out of that was that there was a lot of room for improvement too i basically did no material work on the characters they were all just basically like diffuse textures on the characters without anything no other texture maps no bump maps no normal maps no you know, no other, no other specular or roughness or any kind of PBR texture workflow maps. So it was all just just raw characters doing raw action. And what I realized was people didn't really mind as long as they cared about the core story. So I realized I could use 3D to tell my stories and develop uh, a workflow that that was possible. And then there was two directions I could go in. I could do a traditional 3D workflow which involves rendering out things through like Maya, through Cinema 4D, projects like that. But the problem with those is they take forever. And even if you have the hardware, you're still looking at anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour per frame to render. And a lot of times you might have one mistake in the scene. It ruins your whole production workflow. Um, I don't even know how, I don't even know how full studios render farms do it. It seems like a very inefficient method of getting stuff done especially when you have cloth and particles and all sorts of additions and then unreal came out and around 417 they started doing really photorealistic stuff and i realized that i could go the real-time way and not that many people have done it before but uh i've been exploring how far unreal can go with it now with ray tracing you can basically get to the same place you can with the traditional render engine it's not going to be exactly perfectly the same, but uh, the possibilities now with real-time 3D, yeah. I mean, the next 10 years are just going to be crazy when, when we get into photorealistic VR. I mean, It's already crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I just realized I watched the um, origin Batman Beyond. I haven't actually mm-hmm. seen the 20-minute one. And I okay, saw like, yeah. a second of it. It actually looks really good. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, there was... That, how many years ago? Uh, eight, maybe. Eight or so. Yeah, something like that. So... Um, and that was that was just the initial entrance, you know, like I could watch that and see all the problems with it now. But um, but yeah, I started with that initial 20 minute short and just focus on the things that I could do well, which is writing and music and getting the character correct. And then that blew up. So I made a sequel, which was a little bit better. Did that one in Cinema 4D. And that one that one was a full hour of production and being it like tying back into what I was saying before, doing these things was also proving that I could do it. 
So to now I know that I have made hours of content of 3D. So I went ahead and made the uh, like so I can do a two-hour feature now. So I know this two-hour feature will happen. It will come out. I know the production workflow. I can get through it all. So having these little these little obstacles before that were helped me get the confidence to to know I can make a bigger project. And that's now from Ashes. That's now from Ashes. Yep. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when is that expected to release? Uh, it depends because right now mm-hmm. uh, it's difficult to find the time to to do that and have a full time job and do all of the other projects that are on my slate. So what I'm trying to do is release a trailer with a Kickstarter, which mm-hmm. will be all of the major stuff. Like the project's going to happen either way. It's going to probably be done. I think the difference is what could take two years could be simplified down to six months if I had the proper funding. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that would just be funding to um, pay my actors more to do a couple of reshoots to, to take some time off myself to focus on putting the finishing touches on the movie itself um, and focus on it exclusively. So that's going to be coming out within the next month, full three minute trailer um, which has all of the characters, all of the locations, a lot of the fight scenes, uh, a lot of the story developments will all be in that so people really know what they're getting. And then we're going to do a big Kickstarter campaign that has perks like action figures and T-shirts and an art book and hats and all sorts of stuff. And I want to real build a, a real fandom around it. I want to build a franchise that um, will make itself you know, onto platforms like Netflix and Amazon and, and be seen in theaters and then build something that becomes a new fantasy sci-fi saga that that reaches go. beyond its potential, you know. And if that doesn't happen, that's fine too. I'm just doing it because oh, I got you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think that's an awesome ambition, like a dream. Yeah. Let's make that happen. That'd be cool to have a game too. Have like a game in Unreal have, with uh, from Ashes. Have like maybe yeah. one or two. Th- yeah, like I know. I know people are gonna go there with it because they. I. I you can see the obvious potential of using a game engine to develop a, this, the film mm-hmm. and want to have the controls. I think the thing is the story to me is very linear and the cinematography, like I'm working uh, with a couple of friends, like a friend, my friend Ryan, my friend uh, Kevin, uh, they're both expert cinematographers. So they're sitting with me shot by shot going over camera location, camera placement, depth of field, uh, focal lengths, What's the best, you know, frame size and, and aspect ratio to be using for everything? We're going we're going deep. I'm working with Hollywood producers who have specialized in color correction and you know, like all sorts of, of workflows that are very specific to a film format. Mm-hmm. Um, but the video game extrapolation is definitely a possibility, and I I would not be surprised if we eventually get there. But first, I want to tell the story. But I think it would be fun. I mean, it's it's about mm-hmm. a night. You get there's some pretty cool swords. There's there's monsters. It's a fantasy kingdom. It's it's exciting. Yeah, and, it could be like the next Witcher three. Yeah, you know, I feel like the 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 games were better told than the movie uh, than the than the, the Netflix series. So um, that's one of those oh, actual. Well. <laughs> That's Did actually you not like the show, or you just think it's... I, I like the show. I actually think Henry Cavill was awesome. I liked a lot of the mm-hmm. characterizations. I don't know if I love the the story. nonlinear story. I, I I could have liked the story. I just I, I actually think I would rather watch somebody do a recompilation of it in linear order, where you just start at the beginning and end at the end. Like 
rather than yeah. doing the the jumping around in time periods. Did you read the books? I didn't read the books. Yeah, neither did I. So I was lost too a lot of times. The only thing I knew, reason I knew some things was because of the game. I was like, oh, yeah, well, exa- yeah. That makes me. And my friend, he's read all the books, all the games. He was like, no, this and that. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I mean, okay. I guess <laughs> I guess it's cool if the fans really think it. That is the the best the best outlet for it. But uh, yeah. I got it near the end. I was like, oh, I get it. It's they're going back and forth, and I guess they felt like it wasn't going to be as exciting if they told it linear. But oh, they are. I still think it's cool. I think season two is gonna be great. I think yeah, they just did yeah. a good job of being like a good like let's start and these are the characters. But I think if they keep doing linear and from season two and on, it'd be great. It'd be yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's great. I love seeing that those kind of fantasy stuff because it's all inspiration for me. I can mm-hmm. draw on all the stuff that did work for me with that. You know, uh, the way they did their fight scenes, the way they did uh, their cinematography, um, the kind of ambiance of the world they build, and then also obviously the obvious. Uh, other parallels, Game of Thrones, a lot of, lot of, lot of stuff I learned from watching that and seeing how that was translated into other media, and Lord of the Rings, all, all of the precursor fantasy stuff is all, you know, everything is a learning experience. So mm-hmm. that's that's a big part of it. Um, yeah, that'd be great. And then the music, the how many tracks do you have? You had twenty something. Oh yeah, yeah. So there's twelve. There's twelve total tracks that are released as part of the album. Mm-hmm. Um, that actually was the precursor to all that. That started that started back when I was working at the production company, and I wanted to, I wanted to make an album of trailer music, and I wanted to give it the same emphasis that someone like Hans Zimmer puts behind his productions. So I wrote a bunch of actual sheet music, orchestrated it for twenty six instruments, mm-hmm. hired players, went to a Hollywood recording studio, and actually re- conducted and recorded. Uh, five of the tracks with live orchestra and uh wow it was yeah, it was that must crazy. have been amazing you're like yeah i made it yeah. <laughs> yeah well i mean you just do it i was just one of those things where i was like i was mm-hmm. way way beyond my my depths but i just made it happen and we came away with some uh some really terrible audio out of that and we came with some amazing audio and then you just sit in the editing room and you find what was good and what was bad and you put it all together and um I, I felt like when I was writing the music, there was a theme here. It was very operatic and everything, every song had a different feel and a different emotion. I was like, almost through the music alone, there's a story here. So I was like, well, what's the story? There's some tender moments. There's some heavy action moments. There's some battle stuff. And I was like, well, what if I put together a kind of character? And I was like, I just started visualizing this, this image of a princess uh, watching her kingdom burn. And I was like, I was like, what an interesting visual of beauty and perfection and royalty and status, losing everything, having no meaning in a world. So that duality was the was the core of the story. Um, and uh, the songs told that story. And I basically had each song represent a different moment in what was a potential story. And then that expanded into the first short version of the From Ashes story. And then that expanded to the full two-hour feature version of it. And then you know, when you hire actors and you hire people to be a part of it, their feedback and the way they, like my friend Aaron, who plays the lead of the whole story, um, the way he performed impacted the character I wrote for him. So, uh, and each, each character's, uh, each character's emotiveness, the way they express themselves, the way they develop, I rewrote parts, I rewrote part of the story. Um, We kind of went all over the place there, but, you know, that's all good. 
development. These projects a lot, a lot of value. Of yeah. 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 And then uh, the, that short clip on Reddit, how long did it take you to make that? Like from the acting to the editing to the publishing. So Just that it, clip. It, it, it's it's hard to say because that clip was my my demo from the beginning that I've remade a few times because uh, all new versions of Unreal came out. They re- they released their their ray tracing version of the engine. Um, I had to do some VO and some edits. So I have I've worked on that probably for the past year, but uh, the the current iteration of it is about two three months old, um, and it's still being edited. There's still things I got a lot of feedback from Reddit that helped me see the final details I need to change. I need to clean up some more motion capture. Uh, I need to uh, I need to actually get the best quality audio in there. I need to uh, do some stuff with particle work in Unreal. But uh, what was cool was getting people's insights and stuff, and and actually seeing some people really hyped about it. So, no, um, I saw it and I was like, "This is amazing!" I showed my girlfriend. I was like, "Look at this! This is so good!" And this is from uh, you said GoPro and like homemade. So uh, yeah, I literally, I literally made. Um, uh, I have a I have a construction helmet I got at Home Depot. <laughs> I strapped to the sides of it metal wires that had to be flexible, and I put a a GoPro camera seated in front of it. And what that does is record their facial animation and uh, and use that as a, just a video. Uh, you do some little edit work and you use a couple programs to to capture motion capture facial animation data. It's dirty. It wasn't the best method. You can use stuff like Faceware, which is a lot better for the task, but it's a lot more expensive. So for a homemade homemade mocap method, it was it was effective. And then I also hacked my own way in Unreal to do additive layering and i haven't seen anybody talk about this This is part of i think the process of this was also developing stuff that no one else is doing so i use the best stuff of everybody else i can learn from things from mentors people have taught me stuff in unreal forums tutorials and then there's another element where you just have to you just have to pioneer something and and do that and what i've done in unreal is i've used their sequencer to develop my own 3d workflow which is i have my raw motion capture data as a track and i additively add my layers on top of that that change things so instead of having one animation file playback and sequencer i have uh hands as additive things on top so i have a clip that represents a hand in a fist shape a clip that represents a hand in a flat shape in a cupping shape and those are all blended in and blended out on top of the motion capture data without either one being edited or destructively uh, changed so the motion capture data is just flat hands my cupping hand animation is on top of that, and I can blend them between different ones. So you're seeing the hands change as if I had physically animated them myself. They're just like a pose library. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, you have things for like uh, offset rotations for the waist and the head and the neck, and then eyes, and then ex- expressions. So I have expressions that change from the upper lip down and from the nose up, and you just I just layer them on top of each other. So the thing that is the hardest part about my project is that human emotion in a sort of realistic way. I'm not going for full photorealism. I'm going for like some stylization, but it's still more style. It's still more realistic than say like a Disney with the big eyes and the flat skin and all that stuff. So the, the human emotion is so detailed and granular. You'll notice all of the errors in the lip sync where you wouldn't notice that in a more stylized character. Um, so all the the uncanny valley it creates 
makes everything a lot harder. So I have to spend a lot more time per scene getting in there. And when, you know, people will notice when a word is off in the lip sync and people will notice when a character's eyes don't move the right direction or they're, they, that emotion was weird or that, you know, like all that stuff needs a lot of attention. So, so there's going to be more iterations of it, which is why I want the trailer to come out first, which shows all the best features and then work on the full production over the course of six months to a year. So. And then doing all this, you created the story, right? Yep. Yep. So that took a long time too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, story's weird because that's one thing that I, I am very confident about. I know that I love these characters like I'm my own fan, which mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, it's, I, I, I think it sounds, it can sound arrogant, but in, in a way it's more like I'm writing this for myself and I know that this resonates with me. So I believe that that will resonate with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it was cool exploring something. I, I literally have seen the movie in my own head and I'm just using tools like Unreal to tell it. So I just have to get it out. But like I've seen the whole movie playback and I'm trying to recreate what I see in my head visually using uh, a tool that can generate it almost pixel perfect to what I see, you know? So even even with a real world film, you couldn't do what I'm doing because in a real world film, there's all sorts of factors out of control. If you're filming in a forest, you can't place the trees where you want them. You got to deal with the forest as it is. But I can put the world in the exact structure I want it to be in, in my head. So you're seeing a literal, like, like I call it channeling. It's like, I'm literally like seeing the vision come out through me. So, Mm -hmm. so, um, but it's not, not that it doesn't change because it does change based on the, you know, the actors and, and, and the, the the stylisticness of their characters and learning and, and changing and, and adapting to, feedback and stuff so um so sometimes it's the vision as it is and sometimes it's 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 being open to criticism so yeah and probably only getting better yes only getting better but at some point you also do got to cut off the criticism at some point you have to go this is what it's going to be and Mm -hmm. there are some people going to love it you know i think Mm -hmm. um people who are developing projects the fear of the criticism is can be overwhelming but uh the thing that you don't get told often is that when you put something out there, it's got to it's got to have a certain level. It's got to be good. Like you, it has to be recognizably good by somebody. So there there does need to be some threshold there. But your concern will be the criticism and the negative feedback. But people often also forget that you'll get some actual diehard fans who will love the work. And when I say that, I mean sometimes it'll be even beyond the scope that you thought it was. You're like, I thought it was good, but you see all your own flaws. So you're expecting the criticism to hit hard, but you forget that some people will see it and love it and genuinely excited about it. And then you actually have your first fan. And that's what I saw with the Batman thing, because when I released that, I thought I would be getting a bunch of hate towards what was unpolished raw 3D from a newbie amateur animator. And what I ended up getting back was a lot of love and a lot of people going, wow, you really kept true to the Batman story. You really showed us like, um, like that the characters, the story I liked. And then people start having discussions. Well, do you think, do you think what's going to happen next with this character? And then you realize that like, I did something bigger than the sum of its parts. And that was really cool. So for everybody out there who's thinking about doing a project, 
realize how it can impact and help other people besides just yourself. Because it can, you can either build something that people just genuinely love as a work of art, or you can inspire somebody to create something themselves, you know, and then people want to be involved. And then, you know, I had people reach out to me who want to be involved in the next production and up hiring them to play characters. And now it's a very inclusive thing for everybody. So, wow. So creative media is, is amazing is what so happens when you put yourself out there. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun. And, and I, I think really, with, really, really want to see that Batman Beyond video. Yeah, you I got to put it back out there. I got to put it back out there. The problem no, is, I, it, I found it, it though. It's, it's under unlisted. So I, I don't know why yes. I can see it, but you can't look it up. Like I was trying to look it up before I couldn't find it. Yeah, because I took it off of, of viewable because I didn't want to delete it. It has, it's, it's there. But, uh, um, but the thing with 3D, and that's the, the biggest problem with it is, is that it doesn't age well. So, you know, you know, hard blocky models don't, you know, oh, yeah. look the best years out later when you start to see what 3D is possible. Um, but I think for what it was and what I was learning about doing visual effects and, and stuff and the stuff I, I came away with, I was actually like, wow, I actually got motion blur and I, I learned how to do all sorts of stuff that, you know, um, came staples of, of how I did things. So. Uh, man, so much, so much, so many parts of the project all came together. I'm still learning, still so many things to do, but um, oh, yeah. especially with Unreal, there's so many things you can learn. Even there if really you got is. it, there's something new next week. And then things break, and you have to figure out creative workflows to get around the fact that, like, 424, like with the newest Unreal version, is actually pretty broken, in my opinion. Like, I, I've been trying to send them bug reports, but like, it crashes all the time. Uh, I just got a uh, RTX 2080 Ti card, and that is like. The, it's the bleeding edge of graph. I mean, graphics cards, short of like full production, ten thousand dollar cards and stuff like the uh, the Titan. But even that only has eleven gigabytes of RAM. And as a result, I'm I'm working on animated characters that are like four K resolution textures plus for every single texture on them, and that overloads the graphics card very quickly. So when I render. I, I'm literally fingers crossed, hoping it will actually render and not crash on me, which mm. uh, which has been a big issue. And then I have issues now where characters don't import properly. And rather than looking at these like a depressing frustration thing, it's just what's the solution? What's the what's the things I have to test? So I'll go back to four two three, import my characters in that, migrate them over to four two four, and then I'm back to working and everything. So problem solving is a skill almost as important as the thing you're working on as well. Being able to on the fly debug and figure out where things are going wrong because uh, they always will, especially with 3D, mm-hmm. especially with stuff like Unreal's blueprints and having to deal with all the new features that come out and trying to decide if you should use the new version of the platform. Do you want to be continually adding new plugins and new stuff? Um, and probably the most important thing is back up your files. <laughs> like, I mean, that should you'd, be plastered over be, every page surprised. of every website yeah, everywhere. Back it up. Or if you're yeah. programming version control, save your stuff. Yeah, save your <laughs> stuff. Seriously. Like, so like, what's the workflow like in Unreal? Do you use like blend spaces for the motion capture? Or how do you, how does that all work? Uh, the, the blend spaces and morph targets are for facial animation. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the motion capture, what we did was, we used we used three. We tested a couple of things. We tested uh, we tested IPI soft cameras, which are connect cameras, mm-hmm. and you set up two to four of them in a room, and you record basically with video data with depth sensing, and that translates into uh, uh, 
tracking of an animated character. So you import your character into IPI, it tracks onto the skeleton, you import that into Unreal, and then you tra you retarget that onto your characters. Okay. Um, I've tried that method. I tried the Rococo Smart Suit, which became our actual final workflow. Um, and then we've also tried the very high-end, like MVN, um, XN suits, uh, and we did those in a couple of fight scene tests, and we did those on a couple of um, animation tests in the production. And we found that the Rococo Smart Suit was like the best bang for the buck. Um, there are perks to all of those workflows. Uh, with the camera-based method, their characters are—they don't—they're not—they don't have like suits stuck to them that they have to like be very cognizant of and stuff strapped to their head. But um, it also is the most slow process because you have to watch the thing track every frame. Um, the XN suits uh, were very buggy, and I couldn't get them actually to work properly in Unreal. But what they did was amazing, like completely clean animation, which was which was cool. But the Rococo was like right in the middle, and it really did a good job of of tracking the characters. Like uh, like you see some jumps in the in the the video there's a little couple places where i still need to clean it up but uh for the most part it's very usable workflow and then once we once we had those i was trying different methods of like recording direct to the source program like rococo has their own studio program and then i was also trying live linking it into unreal and what i wanted to do for the production was actually have up on a screen the actual um world that the characters were in and have them live streamed in so as they're performing they're seeing their character act but i found that this was actually distracting the actors and they were looking too much at the wall and they were uh it was better to just keep them focused on their uh, their opposing actor and stay focused in the scene in the room we were in rather than trying to get them thinking too much that will change if we get the vr headsets going and we actually see them in the world um but for but for right now, it was better just to have them focus on their performance. So once that's in there, once we have the raw motion capture data on the Unreal mannequin, then it's a matter of getting in all the characters, spending some real, real long time doing character material work. My, my characters are very high resolution. Uh, some I've gotten from like places like Turbo Squid, some from Daz, some are custom modeled all over the place. Um, once they're once they're in Unreal, and I feel like the the physical geometry is in a good place, I would spend time on every element of them, down to how the hair fibers look, down to um, the eye occlusion layers, the uh, the skin texturing that like goes beyond just a diffuse map, but actually a subsurface scattering. So you actually get like blood vessels showing behind the skin. I had to I had to literally find what blood vessel texture maps look like and use them for subsurface layers and then um, and then spend time just with yeah, just watching how blend spaces animate. You know, sometimes you see something like that looks really cool and I'm about to put myself through hell trying to figure out how to use that in my game. And it's gonna change everything in all my characters and I've got to figure out to work with it. But once you do it and you see the results of it and now with ray tracing everything's like gorgeous um and then you get feedback and you get criticism and one of the criticisms i got the short was that the character's facial hair didn't look uh would look very flat and it because it was it was just a texture map of facial hair so i was like they're right i gotta go back in i gotta uh re-import my character with actual geometry for facial hair so i had to have him grow out an actual 
beard and actually have polygons of of hairs there. And now the character has a full, much more physical, realized facial hair. And it, it adds this extra element of, of the whole goal as my job as a filmmaker is to keep you watching the scene, not thinking about the fact you're watching a movie. And that's that's the thing that I had a problem with with The Witcher was that The Witcher wasn't necessarily done badly. I just realized at several points that I'm watching a movie because I don't know what's going on. And I had to think about it. It took me out of the experience. And the whole goal of the movie and what I'm trying to do is I want you in that scene with them. I want you feeling the emotions that happens. I want you surprised when you're supposed to be surprised. I want you feeling the music more than hearing the music. I want you wondering what the character's thinking. And anytime you're like, yeah, but that character doesn't look good, that's another point off the list. You know, every time you're like, uh, the lighting looks weird in the scene. I noticed that that particle was like too, too 2D or like the fire doesn't look good. Or anything like that needs to get fixed before I consider the, sh- the shot done. But I wouldn't have got to that place without having done something to Batman where I just put something out there in the world. So, mm-hmm. so, uh, and things still need to move forward. So you still have to ride that line where like, no, it's done and I have to keep moving. Um, but so anyway, back, back to the, the unreal plot process. Once the, um, the characters are done, the animation is applied. You get into sequencer. Now we're talking about building the world and the environments and stuff. And there's a lot of there's a lot of great assets on the asset store. Like those are like you can just buy in a, like a forest pack that's just beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, but then you, you customize it to where you like it. You their new sun skylight is gorgeous. It actually creates an atmospheric sky for you that actually like you you're altering the the sun as an actual object rather than like projecting. Light. Rather than like a distant light object, it's yeah. like it's now more accurate to what sun actually does, and that created a whole new workflow as well. And then just learning about lighting, you know, working with guys who literally rig lights in things, and realizing that like you think you light your scene correctly, but then you're like, it actually looks a whole another step better if you shine spotlights onto your characters' faces because now they're featured and they're focused, and you wouldn't think to do that in in the real world because it's not really physically possible to strap a spotlight to somebody's head but you can do it in unreal you can literally strap a spotlight to their their face and it brings out their their focus and now you don't know it when you're watching but you real they're actually being highlighted in the scene and separated from the background it creates this whole extra layer of 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 investment in the film mm-hmm. so uh so the lighting was a huge element of it um the thing and I'm then really the curious cin- about is the cinematography, the, the camera. Cinematography, work. that yeah. was the thing, yeah. So I initially started with just blocking some shots, and mm-hmm. then I had to have someone really tear up, tear apart my shots and just be really honest with me. He's like, he's like, dude, this just looks like you had uh, a really great project, and then like he's like, and then you just threw a camera in, and it was it was just wrong. So he's like, you're breaking the 180 rule, meaning I was in in cinematography. There's a rule where if we're having this conversation and I'm filming a camera for a specific angle, I should never move my camera past, uh, I should never cut. The next shot should never be more than 180 degrees past. The, the, the meaning if the cameras are on, if we were in the room and you were sitting across the table from me and the camera was to my left, we're not mm-hmm. jumping across the table to the right 
as we do cuts. We're staying within this 180-degree arc. That can change if we both turn or where the scene is moving at all. But I was constantly jumping my camera in all sorts of directions for what I perceived to be the best shot, but breaking this rule. And then when you see it fixed and you see that everything has, you feel your spatial sense much more situated. You see where you are in the room. You feel like you're part of the room. Rather, that, and that's the goal. You want to feel like you're a character in the room more than you are um, a omniscient, godlike observer who's floating around. You're, you're a character in the room observing a conversation between two people. Uh, that also changes with fight scenes because fight scenes are all about up-close shots or, or like detail-based action that needs to flow into each other. But for that, that was the thing. And then I was also breaking rules like uh, the rule of thirds where you, you should break down your shots into three sections and look for things like contrasting light to dark. Look for where colors are highlighted and colors are not featured. Um, and you like you want to see like what's the composition of each individual shot. Where do where do you, where do I best place the camera? What am I best focusing on? What do what is adding to the scene? Like is it better to feature the whole the character's whole body, or is it better to go for the close up? And what's going to tell the emotional story? So when a character's emoting and they're sad, that's a good tight close up of their face. But sometimes when you're trying to establish something grand or something in scale, you do a big pan backwards. And people will disagree with that. There's also subjectiveness to it as well. But the one thing that I did have to also figure out was I wanted the cameras to move like a handheld because there's subtle handheld shake on the cameras as well. So to get that, I rigged up my iPad and I recorded additive layers of just holding my iPad, not moving at all, just holding my iPad to get just some slight wobble in how I would hold a steady cam, like a, a camera. And that adds another element of you're in the scene because it's almost like a little bit of head blob. Like that's the sort of ambiance it gives it. So now all these layers add up to a camera that's that's there. And then once that's there, you're then looking at all the post-processing features in Unreal. And they got that big post-process volume and you can and you get into focal lengths and depth of field and uh, really blow out colors blooms, lens flares, all that stuff. Some of it is very subjective. Some of it I just defer to the experts on that I just I just don't know. When it comes to color correction, um, I know that color is a huge part of my story. So I'm going to have very specific colors, but I don't know what I don't know about it. So I defer to my mentor and my, my, my friends who are experts at these things. Um, and they drive the the rules of engagement when it comes to that. So some of it, some of it, you just sometimes need money to hire somebody for a freelance job. So, uh, so I'm just going to be paying somebody to do my final color look dev. And he's going to be getting in there and telling me what needs to be done. Um, Cause I don't want to focus on it. That's something that's going to be outside of my realm and color correction goes to levels that rabbit holes that I never thought would be a part of it, even in game development. So, um, so that's that part of it, and that's just the preparing of the shot. Then you're playing back, and you've got to add the element of audio to everything. And audio is going to take a lot of time to to work on. You know, writing score, giving the room ambience and feel, and and all that stuff. And then compositing it all in Premiere, and then putting out the demo clip. But I mean, that's you're looking at six months of trial and error, wow. ten thousand Unreal crashes at this point. 
Yeah. Oh, it's, it's yeah. rough. Whenever yeah. every time I'm messing around on the real crashes, I'm like, really? Right now? Why? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Why? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and whenever you think you're done, you're not done. There's always nothing, which is why I love Unreal too. Because if I was doing this, a three-minute scene, which is some five thousand odd frames at at uh, at thirty frames per second, um, is what like a week of traditional animation rendering. You know, more than that. Like, like oh, wow. if you're well, if I'm do if I was gonna render this in Redshift or you know uh, something like like a traditional render engine, mm-hmm. like iRay. If I was using iRay to render this and try to the amount of detail and the amount of texture maps that are in the scene, you're looking at 40 minutes for for one frame, and then mm-hmm. you're like you're you're just and it's gonna look great, but it's not gonna have any of the bells and whistles that Unreal has. And then you're gonna get to frame 2056 and realize your lip sync is off, and you know, like, or, or and well that's fixable because you re-render those frames, but like. If you have a major flaw, you know, and you have to re-render everything, another forty minutes, another forty minutes per frame, like yeah, yeah. So, Unreal, if you see it, play it back in real time. It's gorgeous. You like, you can actually get a sense of the the feel, and that's what's cool. So, and then, then there's just a the little kid in me, you know, just like playing with action figures, you know. So mm-hmm. that's that's half of it. Just wanting to watch my characters tell their stories and fight and and you know just blow stuff up and all, all the all the fun yeah. parts of movie making you know oh, dude, i'm happy for you it, it yeah. looks great and i'm excited to see what uh, the rest of it yeah well i'm 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 happy that people are, are engaging with it and excited about it and i think when they see the trailer and they see all the you know, all the time i'm putting into taking the feedback and and learning from it and applying it and taking it to new levels um when the trailer comes out i think it's really going to drop uh and and make some waves and you have like a I want time frame for the uh, Kickstarter I'm, trailer. I'm trying to get the trailer done in the next month, and then I'm going to spend a couple weeks thinking about the best marketing plan for that because I don't want to just throw it out there. I want to actually have some some people backing it and and time preparing for uh, what the right approach is to release it. So I would say definitely within the next two months it'll be out there and ready for people to engage with and and actually see it come to life. Um, but I would say, you know, uh, I, I'm hoping to be done. And I'll send this to you separately if you want to actually watch the trailer down. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm yeah, done. within within the next month for sure. So, um, so, and it's just one of those things that's done when it's done. But once the like the main core of it is once the characters are done and once the environments are built, the rest is a lot faster. It, but those that's the real thing. It's really spending the time to make sure everything looks cinematic and everything looks ready. So. Yeah, well, that's gonna be great. I'm gonna make sure I let everybody know too. Like. That'd be check amazing. It out, check yeah, out Kickstarter, yeah. kick out trailer. You're gonna love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make it happen. But and either way, <laughs> with or without the Kickstarter, the movie's getting done, and mm-hmm. we're gonna do a big red carpet premiere here in LA. Um, we're gonna do. Uh, oh, I'm coming to that big party. Yeah, come out. Yeah, yeah. The more people, the better. I'm gonna rent a rent a big theater, have a party, um, get everybody drunk, have a good time. Oh yeah, um, that sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then you know, and so that's just it's just it's just gonna be figuring out if I'm gonna be trying to balance it with a day job or if I'm going to be trying to do it uh, over the course of a year or two of production time to, but cause I want to give it the time it needs and I want to make sure that it's at least, it's at least uh triple a quality, you know, the kind of thing where you find out that one guy is spearheaded and you don't believe it. It's like, I want it to look like there's been a team of people behind everything and which there has been. I mean, 
I've definitely had different people that I have hired to do different things, but it's also my story and it's something that's near and dear to me as a passion project. So what has so. been the hardest part about doing all this? Um, God, Pro- I mean, Every- probably, probably the time. I mean, there's, there's so many difficult parts, but, uh, for me, it's not really when you, when you're looking at the scope of making something, I don't look at it like, um, it's going to be smooth sailing. I include in that the obstacles I have to overcome. So for me, like the only time I actually consider something difficult or a challenge is not when it's challenging. It's when I feel like I'm stuck and I don't know how to proceed. Like where there's, there's no clear solution and I can't find a resource that can help me. So, and that has happened a couple of times with unreal where I've had to change the workflow because I can't get around something and I haven't seen any solution to making that happen like right now in unreal the cloth system is broken and i can't fix it and and i can't find a workaround for it until they release a new version of the engine so i can't render right now any of the scenes until 4 uh, 4.2 4.2 comes out and the the developers have uh confirmed this i went back and forth with their, their bug support and there's two major problems that i can't do anything about until they release the engine so that's frustrating, but it will get resolved once they release the new version of the engine. And hopefully they don't break anything else in that process. But uh, for the most part, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. Seriously, I, you know, you'd be surprised where bugs, they fix one thing and another thing breaks. And, mm-hmm. But I think what I'll probably do is if the next version comes out and it's stable and everything is working, I probably won't update post that i'll probably stick to 4.25 or whatever and that's going to be the workflow to the end of the project um, yeah it's probably smart yeah yeah so uh so i'd say the big, big stops was just dealing with stuff i can't i can't fix but it's also managing a day job and having clients that need my time and they have to be priority over my passion projects and stuff but also making sure the project is moving forward because everybody who who's on the project wants to see it develop you know and and everybody wants to be um their their heart is in it as well. Their blood, sweat, and tears. It's some literal blood in the case of certain sword fights, you know, um, are involved. So uh, I want to make sure everybody actually realizes the project as well. So it has to keep moving forward, and I have to navigate it and run a day job, and also, you know, um, but and also make it good. Like I, I have to listen to the to the feedback and, mm-hmm. and continue to make it good. So, so. No, I trust that you'll make it. The best possible film you can make. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, now, what would you say to aspiring creators when they want to make like a film like this? Uh, well, be prepared for what you're in for if that's what you really want to do. I mean, like, uh, are you are you are you capable of actually taking the kind of feedback that you're going to get if you don't specialize in an area? So, um, if you're going to get defensive about your project and then uh, try to, uh, you know ignore the fact that someone's pointing out actual flaws in it, then it's going to be difficult to proceed on it and you're going to get disheartened. If you're open to criticism and you know how to, you know how to separate what actual criticism is from just somebody being, for lack of a better word, an asshole on the internet, mm-hmm. like, uh, then you can go anywhere. If you can really make that distinction, like that's just somebody being mean for the sake of being mean. Um, and this person is genuinely trying to help in his own way by giving me some feedback that's probably useful, then 
then from there you can figure out the rest because then you can go, this is what needs to get fixed. Either I can do it and I can learn how to do it, or I can hire somebody to do it, or I can, um, or I can develop a workflow that accounts for my weakness, or I just spend the time researching the thing I need to do. But also I would say on that is having the end in sight, having some kind of goal that you're moving towards because that'll keep you motivated. It'll keep you inspired because you'll see the end thing. So you're not going to be inspired to learn how to deal with unreal blueprints if you don't want to actually see what you are going to make with them. So I'd say rather than trying to take a tutorial, open-minded on, on unreal blueprints, I'd say go into blueprints trying to learn how to do something with a blueprint. Like how do I make a trigger? How do I make uh, a character blueprint? How do I actually use a motion capture thing because I want to record a scene that uses these things? It's, you're going to see it in the context that it makes sense. And that's going to help you move through all the obstacles. Um, and at the end of it, if you're going to make a film, keep in mind that for all of the work and everything I just talked about, probably the most important thing is going to be your audio and your story. At the end of the day, you, you could make a stick figure animation and you can have diehard fans because what matters is the heart and soul of it, really, at the end of the day. Um, it's just like I say with music, I'd rather hear a bad recording of an amazing song than a bad song with perfect production quality. No one cares about a bad song with perfect production. But there are, you know, there are fan recordings of, like, just an example, like Eric Clapton has a song that he only has a live version of. Um, and... Uh, I, I think it's I think it's like an alternate version of Tears in Heaven. I have to find it, um, but it's only it's only a fan version, and it's like that is better than somebody else's perfectly produced nonsense that they that's not really a song. You know, it's got more um, passion and heart in it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's well crafted. The technique is there. the The heart and soul of the song is there, um, and yeah, so I mean, so that's, so that's the value of just having having someone really check that the core is there. But then, if you if you feel confident about what the core of the project is, it's continuing to develop and and uh, move things forward, uh, learning all of the bells and whistles of what goes into a full production. And if you can, the more you can, I think probably the number one thing is get a mentor, get get somebody who's done it before, and and pay consulting fees to people who have expertise in a specific area just to have them overview your work and look at what you've done and or or be a part of it and a lot of times what will happen is i've got a few people on this project who initially i was paying and now they just do it for free because they're excited to work on it because they're like this was a really cool project i'm excited to be a part of it and they want to continue to help because they they just they just love the the project so um, you build build that community. I think it's like everybody should. If you're going to build a project, don't be an island. Like definitely be. If it's your vision, then you got to do what you got to do. But also build people around you who support you and and want to. Because that's actually probably now that I'm brainstorming about it, yeah. that's going to be the thing that motivates you to keep going. Is you need the positive validation. You do need it because it's going to influence. You know, uh, if everything is all critique, it's not it's not helpful either because then nobody's giving you some love and you need that that love to actually see the this project through the end. So 
yeah, hopefully there's some helpful words of wisdom in there. No, I think that that's yeah. very helpful. And the whole podcast itself is going to be very helpful. I've learned so much. Amazing. Well, I'm glad. Yeah. I'm, uh, hopefully I can help people get there. because. And by, by the way, like I, I'm, I'm, I am got a ton of stuff to work on my own. But the more people that, if I can help innovate as well, will push things that I can learn from. So if some if there's an expert out there, experts who's an expert um, at something, they could probably take any specific element to much further degree. Like, like my material guy knows things about materials that I will never be able to reproduce just because of his such his granular knowledge of how light and and textures can alter the visual of of skin of cloth of all the different types of materials, well, metals and, and rocks and stone. And I can have a functional workflow. So basically, um, in production, we have what's called um, functional, uh, broadcast ready, production ready, film ready, stuff like that. Um, I'm trying to get to a level where it's broadcast ready, where I feel like if this was aired on TV, it would look good enough. But uh, you want people who are like perfectionist, pixel perfect, people looking at your stuff to also give you that kind of feedback and you decide when it's broadcast ready for when you feel like it's at the level you're 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 good at you you feel comfortable releasing it at so um yeah perfect couldn't have said it better amazing amazing so now we're near the end i mean i would love to go on and on and on but mm-hmm. I think we should do a podcast part Me two too. yeah <laughs> for sure but uh to end it off we usually do a challenge usually for the uh lecture we'll do a challenge to get them to learn uh to actually try out the stuff they learn but here we do a challenge to make sure the uh, listeners were engaged sure. so if you want to give them a little challenge you can take a minute to think about it it could be anything it could be like check out my website or it could be like go make your own little small film oh 100 any- um well i don't i don't know if everybody's necessarily going to be a film um focused person so i'd say just make the thing that is in your head like i'm sure every everybody out there has some creative vision of something that they would do and I'm, I'm going to say, do it, like make it happen, even if you're going, but it's not going to be good enough or uh, like whatever is beyond the word, but do it anyway, put it out there, accept the criticism. And what's that's actually going to do is that's how you get the confidence to actually realize it. And what's also going to do is it's going to inspire you. Like you're going to go, I did that. That's awesome. And it's, it won't be perfect. And, uh, there's, there's a lot of cliche there. I mean, like, uh, um, Every time you initially start something, you don't know how it's going to be received and you don't. But I it's like uh, I listen to people like Gary Vaynerchuk, who's more it's more important to have content than to be nitpicking it all and then take that feedback. So I would say figure out whatever your vision is and do something in that direction. And you don't, like if you don't have to make it to our feature movie, but mm-hmm. make the first scene, write the story uh, create a character, like create something that you, that you would be that initial step. Um, uh, and then you set yourself objective markers. So I could say your first challenge would just be if you're not doing anything to start doing something. If you are doing something, I would say, uh, challenge yourself to put your objective markers one step higher. So if you were just like, I'm just going to release it for YouTube, uh, put your goal marker beyond that. Put your goal marker to, I want it, I want it, uh, I want to start a YouTube channel that gets a certain number of subscribers. Or if your goal is to get a Netflix deal, how do you get a theater distribution? 
if your goal is to um, put, put your, push yourself beyond what you think you can get, and that will trickle down through everything else you do. Wow, that's beautiful. I agree with that 100% because there's some things I'm just like, you know what, let's just do it. I don't mm-hmm. care how bad it is. Let's get it out there. And then exactly. when you finally have like, oh, this is my dream project. You're like, I already did the bad ones. I already know how to do it. Yeah, Let's just exactly. go. Instead of yeah. being like, well, how do I write the book? Or how do I make this podcast? It's like, I've done it before. But now this is my idea. So let's just make it, yeah, make it happen. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think what I've been actually trying to say the whole podcast was what's more important than than like the the specifics of what you're doing is the journey of creating. So mm-hmm. it's more important that you actually love the day-to-day work on it. Even if it's 15 minutes a day, then like I actually, like releasing my movie or not is sort of irrelevant to me from the side of the fact that I just love working on it. I lo- Every time I put out a scene and I'm like, you know, my character Clay, whenever I hear Aaron's voice, who's the actor who plays Clay, mm-hmm. like talk and I see the character move and i like, I made that and I'm going to mm-hmm. make him fight with a monster now or i'm gonna make it uh you know the girl who's emoting that she's you know falling in love with him i'm gonna make that I, i'm making two characters play out a love romance drama um i'm building i built a castle and you know i i'm filming that 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 is so much fun and that drives all this stuff and then the you also learn the process of overcoming obstacles and dealing with failures and the more important thing than any specific note of feedback is learning how to process the feedback. It's it's the process of developing um, your skill sets and learning how to problem solve and, and mm-hmm. obstacle solve and critically think. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree 100%. Yeah. 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 Everyone out there, all games with that TV students, go make that game you want to make. Go make exactly. that Blender project. Do it now. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. So thanks for coming on, Matt. Yeah. And send it to me. I mean, send it to me. If you guys like what you heard, I'd love to see what you're doing. Um, you know, I don't know if there's, there's links out there, but I'm sure. Yeah. I'll put links. You can send me like your email or your, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd love to see what people are doing. We'll get them posting. And, uh, we'll definitely come back. Maybe do part two about the uh, Kickstarter and even talk more about like marketing strategies for game developers. That's, that's a great idea. I'd love to, I'd love to get into that stuff. Uh, that's, that's a huge part of, if anything you want to do is once you create it, you got to get it in front of people and actually, you know, you know, show them what you've done. So we'll talk about that next time for sure. Awesome. And then to end it off, I'll hand the mic to you. Did you want to do a shout out or tell them about you know, the links? Uh, to your, shout uh... out to everybody who's a part of this project. Uh, so Aaron, Rachel, Jeff, uh, Kelly, Jean, uh, Sam, um, uh, Peter, who, and Mustafa, the people behind it all, uh, who, who really motivated me. Uh, to get the project underway you know obviously my family and and my brother and uh, a lot of people who just are behind the scenes support and stuff have all been a huge part of this and i I actually say also including that in my 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 buddy james who was the one who really took it to the next level by giving me the most 3d focused feedback and uh yeah all the friends who have been a part of this beginning and the two guys who helped me with 3d back in the beginning it's important to always be grateful for the people who were a huge part of uh, helping me develop and learn these skill sets. So, so yeah. And awesome. thank you. And thank you, everybody at Game Dev who, uh, who saw this and set up this podcast and, you know, developed this forum. And everybody who's listening, thank you guys for, for listening.
Well, that's it. Thanks for listening. You can find all GameDev.TV courses at courses.gamedev.tv slash courses or in the show notes with a 10% discount. Get started with your game development journey today.